with that, I'm going to introduce our uh, speaker today. He is not the most elderly elder, but he's been elding longest, longer than our eldest elder. Would you please welcome Mr. Tyler Redden up front this morning? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just have to do this. Okay, look, look at this face. Look, look at this pudding right here. So this weekend, JR shaved, right? But he, I'm bald. He, he didn't leave his mustache because he didn't think he could pull it off. Now, I think he could pull it off. Okay, these people think you could pull it off. Yeah, I'll go for it. Next time, we want to see his mustache, right? Yeah. As long as, as long as we do this when my wife's here next service. <laughs> Can we do that? We will do that when your wife is here next service. Okay, so let's, let's just, I, because I, uh, I'm an insecure person at heart, everybody knows that, uh, I just need a baseline because everybody's wearing masks, so just, just humor me for a second. So let's just take a second. Give me the biggest, cheesiest smile you can give me. And hold it, right? Okay, some of you guys aren't smiling, and it's hurting my feelings. Okay, that's, that's pretty good. Okay, now, now go a little bit more. You guys are pretty. Your eyes are glittering this morning. Okay, good. Good. All right. Uh, let's pray. Father, uh, as, as we said in our huddle this morning, Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you that we have as a, as a, as a guide and a light, and we don't, we don't have to, uh, to make up our own way, Father, but you have provided a way. God, I just pray this morning as, as the word goes forth that we would lean into it, that we would, Father, that we would take it and we would accept it, Lord, and we would, um, Father, pray to you to, to know what to do with it, God. I just pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I was having an interesting conversation with a, a friend of mine recently, and to be honest, I, I didn't know where he stood on this issue. I mean, we've known each other a long time, but it's, this topic has been floating out there, and, and we've never really broached the subject. And to be honest, I, I really didn't want to go there. I mean, what's the point? He has his beliefs, I have mine, and... We, we found ourselves in, in this conversation, and it, it finally came up, and I had to tell him what I thought. Now, you have to understand, I have been thinking about this quite a while, as a lot of us are, and I've looked at YouTube videos, and uh, I've read quite a bit of articles about it, and I finally, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I, I had to tell my friend what I thought, and I had to tell my friend, ultimately, that, that he was wrong. So I told him, I said... There's no way that Daniel LaRusso is the villain in the Karate Kid. <laughs> and he went on and he's like, oh, well, have you seen Cobra Kai, the new YouTube series that's going on Netflix? I said, of course I have. I'm not, I'm not a simpleton. Of course I've watched this. And he says, well, it paints a pretty clear picture that Daniel's the villain and Johnny is just this misunderstood bad boy. And really, he's the hero of the, the trilogy. And I said, yeah, okay, buddy. Well, you keep thinking that and I'd agree with you and we'd both be wrong. Uh, so, obviously, we're not talking anymore. That relationship has been severed. <laughs> Do you think I was talking about another topic there? Did you, did you think I was implying some other topic? Well, really, I mean, if we're honest, we could fill in a few different topics right there, couldn't we? Uh, there's, there's a few more topics going on in our land other than the Karate Kid trilogy. And I, I've been thinking about this so much lately, not the Karate Kid trilogy, other things. Um, I've been thinking about where we are as a, as a culture, and I'm thinking about where we are as a church and as a, a body of believers, and 
More importantly, I've been thinking about where we're going and where we're going to end up if we, can, if we continue on this current path. So if, if we look at where we are as a planet, and in the, in the middle of this crisis, I, I think about this. This crisis is, is different than others that we've experienced before, isn't it? Because from what I've seen in my 41 years on Earth, um, usually crisis has a way of uniting people. I mean, think about 9-11. So just a, just a few weeks ago, we observed, you know, the nine-year anniversary of that horrific event. And what happened to us as a nation after that event? I mean, think about that. One of the things I saw is that patriotism and the love of our country soared, didn't it? There was this, this sentiment among everybody that just said, okay, this is my land and this is our land and you're not going to come against it. Everybody was together. See, that's what crisis usually does. You think about other crises like hurricanes and fires and tornadoes. When those crises happen, everybody usually comes together and united. Well, this season, seemingly from my perspective, seems to have the opposite effect. I mean, especially in the middle of this pandemic, instead of becoming unified, it, it feels like we're becoming divided. And it, it feels like there's just this divisive tone everywhere you go. And from what I've seen, it feels like we're divided into two groups. And those groups change depending on what the topic is. So if you're talking about COVID-19, the two groups might be masks or no masks. If you're talking about um, the election, the two groups might be Republican and Democrat. And if you're talking about the church world, maybe the two groups are, well, shut the building, go online, or meet in person and do the online. Uh, whatever it is, I mean, those are big topics. And, and like I said, in, in my life, I don't know of a time where I've seen our country so divided. And that really gives me pause. I mean, that really makes me stop and wonder. I mean, I, I just, just honest, I wonder what God is doing in all of this. I, I wonder what his plan is. I wonder what the, the grand design is. And if I'm being really honest, um, normally, I don't spend too much time down this road of thought, but I wonder what our enemy, the devil, is doing in all of this. I wonder if he's looking at the current landscape and he's bringing his hands together and he's thinking, yes, yes, right. Whoever did that, you're coming up here the next service to do that laugh. Because here's no secret. You want to know what one of the biggest strategies of our enemy is? This is not a secret. It's in the book. One of his biggest strategies is to divide. If you think of it in math terms, if there's any math teachers here, God is in the multiplication and the devil is into division. That's what he does. You know, Jesus tells us in John uh, 10.10 that the thief, the, the devil, our enemy, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That word only... It means only. That's it. So his whole job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And when it, comes to, when it comes to the family of God, when it comes to us, his strategy is to divide, period. And because this makes sense, if you think about this for a second. When we are united, when we are together, think about that. There, I mean, there, there's momentum and there's safety and there's optimism and there's joy, and there's believing the best, and there's purpose, and, and that is the makings of, of a movement that 
in a word is unstoppable. Empowered by the Spirit of God, we are unstoppable when we are united. But when we're divided, we are not those things. Um, We become weak, don't we? We become ineffective because we become hurtful. And that's not safe. And we, we start blaming and we start accusing and we, we begin to be pessimistic and we become to be uh, judgmental. In a word, we become stoppable, don't we? So um, in this season then, uh, with everything happening in our world, the, the question that I've been asking myself is I've been saying, self, how do we unite? How do we become united in this season? United as a, as a group here in Helena, um, but more than that, united as a group throughout the world. And, and maybe, maybe here's, here's maybe the bigger question. Is there anything, truly, is there anything that will unite us in this season? Well, I don't know about you, but when I have questions like that, I, I go to the Bible because I have to believe that God saw this from the beginning. I have to, I have to see what his perspective on all of this is. And I, that's what I want to do this morning. I want to start in the New Testament because there was a, there was a situation that came up with the, the believers in Corinth. And uh, what was happening is they were arguing and they were fighting among each other and they were just saying, well, uh, I want to follow this leader. No, 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 you're wrong. We need to follow this leader. And Paul got wind of this. And so Paul wrote his people in Corinth a letter. And that letter turned into the book of 1 Corinthians that we have today. And so right out of the gate, Paul addresses that, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So Paul used a a word here in the Greek, and it's translated schisma. Everybody say schisma. Schisma. And it means, it's an active word, it has action in it, and it it means a a split, or a, a ripping, or a tearing apart. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, I I plead with you that there be no tearing apart, that there be no ripping apart, that he's saying whatever the issue is, whatever that issue is, it doesn't matter what the issue is, whatever the issue is, it was dividing them from one another and from their their mission. And this is what Paul was saying to to the believers in Corinth. He's saying, I beg you, I urge you, I plead with you, stand together as one. Don't let any divisions be among you. That's an impassioned plea from Paul. So if, if you're new to Christianity, you might say, okay, well, that's cute, Tyler, that's nice. I don't know who Paul is. I've never heard of Paul. Sure, I was right there. I, I get that. I'm going to show you something else from a, a guy that you probably have heard of. His name is Jesus. And right before Jesus was crucified on the cross, he had, I mean, he had three significant prayers. One of them was for us. And this was one of his last prayers on earth. He says this in John 17. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus prayed to his Father, God, that all the believers may be one, that they may be they might be brought together in unity because what will happen if we're unified? Well, Jesus tells us that the world will know, God, that you have sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. Do you ever wonder, I found myself wondering this a few weeks ago, do you ever wonder why 
Jesus prayed that? I mean, this was, this was his last moments on earth. And he had, like I said, he had three significant prayers. This one was his last prayer for us. Why did he pray that? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us why, but there's a few possibilities that I can think of. Maybe he prayed that because he knew what was at stake. And maybe he prayed that because he knew what would happen if we become divided. And maybe he prayed that because he knew what could happen if we were united. Jesus' prayer was that we would be united so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You guys, this is a profound thought. Think about this. Our unity is tied to the world believing God sent Jesus to this world. So in other words, instead of being divided and weak, if we stand united and strong, resisting the schemes, resisting the attacks and strategies of our enemy, we help usher in God's will on the earth. That comes from our unity. That is what Jesus was praying right before he was crucified, that we would be one. So, all right, so we see that this guy named Paul, we see that he encouraged the, the believers in Corinth to be unified. Let, let there be no schismas among you. And then Jesus prayed for that right before he was crucified. But what about the regular people in the Bible? What about the people who didn't write two-thirds of the New Testament? And, and what about the, the people who didn't walk on water? Is, is unity important to them? I am so glad you asked that. Thank you, because that corresponds with my notes. Thank you. I, uh, I talked about this, this next passage at our recent worship night, and I, I want to remind us of that. If, if you have a Bible, if you flip back to the Old Testament, if you look in Psalms, uh, Psalm 133, this is one of my favorite Psalms. I'm going to read it, and then we'll, we'll dissect it a little bit. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It, as is, it as, is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So a few things about this. Um, this is one of the songs of ascent. So the songs of ascent are found in Psalms 120 through 134, and it's, it's a collection of, of uplifting praise songs. Now, they're called the songs of ascent because what would happen is the, the Israelites would literally sing these. These are songs that the Israelites would literally sing from wherever their tribal allotment was. They were going up to Jerusalem, which was the highest point in the land. So they were literally ascending. They were going up, and they did this three times a year. So um, all of these psalms, are, they, they all have kind of a different um, thing that they're praising God for. Psalm 133, they're praising God for unity. But there's more here than just what we see on the page. If we do a little bit of research in this, if we had time, we'd go back to Genesis 13. And we'd see a, a story of two guys named Abram and Lot. And they had some things happen in their life. And what happened is they, they were together, but Abram and Lot had so much family and so many animals between them that they had to separate. The land couldn't support them. And so this is a family that wanted to be together but couldn't, so they, they had to separate. Then if you turn over in Genesis 36, we see the same thing but with two different people, Jacob and Esau. Now what was significant about them is they were fighting for a long time. And we don't have time to go into why, but they were fighting for a long time. And they finally came together. After years of fighting, they finally came together, but it was the same story. The land couldn't support them, so they had to, they had to separate. They had to leave. 
So Genesis 13, Genesis 36, and Psalm 133 all has this phrase that's the same in the original language that says, dwell in unity. So when David, the writer of this psalm, when David says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, it's not just a reference to living peacefully relationally. This is a, this is a call back to their ancestors because it wasn't always like this. For the longest time, that they couldn't live together. They, they couldn't physically live together because the land couldn't support them. And so when David's writing the psalm, he's saying, remember how it was. And now remember that because we are living in God's blessing, this is good that we are together. How pleasant it is when we can dwell together in unity. He was saying, because of God's blessing, we're able to be together. Now, that's not to diminish that this psalm is also talking about living relationally, because I want you to think about this for a second. This happened, this, uh, this kind of this trek happened three times a year, and they would go to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate God's provision. You guys, this was millions of people, and they were all walking up to Jerusalem together, so you have to know, three times a year, walking up to Jerusalem together, millions of people, there's going to be some opportunity for some family fights, right? There's going to be some opportunity for some friction, and if you're going on a road trip like this, this is a really good song to sing on that road trip because you're saying, hey, yeah, my, my brother might be hitting me and annoying me right now, but how good and pleasant it is that we can even go together, that we're not meeting them halfway. We are going together because the land supports us. They're reminding themselves of God's blessing. So we see this time after time in the Bible. Paul advocated for unity with the, the believers in Corinth. Jesus prayed for unity, and the Israelites sang about unity. So this is the question I always ask. How? How do we do it? I mean, 2020, which is next year is probably going to become a curse word. Um, 2020, how do we become one? What would it take for us to unite and what would unify us as a body of believers? Um, I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and, and the speaker touched on this subject. And he said, it, it doesn't matter what the group of people um, stand for uh, or what kind of organization it is. He says, if you want to unify a group of people, you need two things. And I was like, all right, well, this sounds simple. What is it? If you want to unify a group of people, you need an enemy and you need a mission. To unite a group of people, you need an enemy and a mission. Now, I can certainly say amen to this in my family because, um, you know, you might have had a, a brother or sister growing up and they, they drive you crazy. And in my family, it was my sister. She's a couple years older than me. Doesn't mean she's smarter than me. Um, we get that a lot. Uh, and man, we, we got in so many fights when we were growing up. I was thinking about this this week, and I felt like we were fighting all the time. My parents had to be so exhausted from that because it was, we were just fighting all the time. And you know what? It was fine. I, I could fight with her all day, every day. It was completely fine. However, if I hear about somebody messing with my big sister, that becomes a different story, and that becomes a different conversation. You do not mess with my big sister. I can fight with her all day long, but you do not mess with my big sister. And in those situations, you find out that blood's always thicker, right? Well, we have an enemy. 
don't we? We have an enemy. And, and here's the truth. It's not any of the, the groups that I talked about in the beginning of the message. Our enemy is one who we have said from so many times from this stage, our enemies do not have bodies. What? What does that mean? I've never heard that. Sure. Paul actually gave us that idea. In Ephesians 6, he says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That means the devil has schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your enemies don't have bodies. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. In other words, we have to understand that those who worship differently is not your enemy. The person who votes differently than you is not your enemy. Those who have a different background or enjoy different music or dress differently or express themselves in a hundred different ways that you don't agree with, those people are not your enemy. You guys, I am fully persuaded in all of my being, I am fully persuaded that in these days, our unity is being attacked. Fully believe that. And, and we can't be naive to that. And you guys, if you ask who our enemy is, we have one enemy. We have one enemy. And we need to rise up, we need to be together, and we need to unite against that enemy because here's the truth. Our enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Our enemy wants to kill our churches. Uh, our enemy wants to, to steal our unity. And I believe our enemy wants to destroy our credibility. Our enemy wants to destroy our credibility because we are called to be light into a dark world. And we can't do that when we're divided. Our enemy wants to destroy that credibility. But if we, like I said before, if we stand around the, the mission of Jesus, that is when we become unstoppable. So what unites us? One enemy, one mission. We've talked about one enemy. So then what is the mission? What is our mission as followers of Christ? Well, Jesus gave us that mission. Uh, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, some of his last moments on earth, and he gave them their assignment, which has become our assignment. It's in Matthew 28. He says this, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You guys, there it is. If you want to know your calling, there it is. If you want to know your mission, there it is. That because that is what we do. The, the church, the, the, the called out ones, the sent ones, that is who we are. That is what we're called to do. That is our mission. That is our plan. That is our calling. In, in, in put it simply, our mission then is to help people know the life-giving love and grace of Jesus. That's it. And, and Paul says something similar to this in Romans 15. He says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're, we're getting away from the question I asked. The question I asked is, how? Right? How do we do that? Like, like, 
Like really practically, like super practically, how do we do that in everyday life? Because you guys, we all have different circles. We're going to, we're going to work and school and whatever we're doing. We're on social media. We're, we're dealing with some really complicated people and issues. And there's so much anger and pain in the world. And, and we're dealing with people who are coming from a perspective that they have the, the market on truth, right? Just like me with Daniel LaRusso. I know what I know. And how do you deal with that? How do, be, how do you be united with that? There's a, really, there's a really cheesy way to look at this. And I know I'm going to get some flack for this. That's, that's fine. But one of the answers is in the word that I've said probably 20 times already. The, word is in, the answer is in the word unite. In that word, do you know what the letter I has the power to do? I has the power to change that word from something really positive to something really negative. Changing the I, you change unite to untie. The answer is, if we want to unite, it starts with I. Each one of us has the power to unite or untie, and it all depends on where the I is. But again, speaking practically, how? How do we do that? So wouldn't it be nice if there were like a, just a simple test that we could take that we would know? Because like, you know, you're, you're in these conversations just like I am, and sometimes I don't know if the conversation and, and the interaction I'm having is unifying or not. Wouldn't it be nice if, to know that? Well, I'm going to give you a little suggestion, and um, this is a test that has served Leslie and I really well over the last 18 years. The question is, and the test you can ask yourself is, can you pass the sticky note test? Can you pass the sticky note test? So in 2001, uh, Leslie and I were preparing to get married, and a very wise man walked us through some premarital mentoring. Um, Pastor Rick Davis from the Foursquare Church here in town, great guy. We didn't know him from Adam, but he's become uh, a great friend of ours. Rick shared with us the, the sticky note test. So the sticky note test is powerful because in this example, the sticky note represents offense. When you are offended with somebody, um, however that happened, when you are offended with somebody, that person now has a sticky note on them that only you can see. Similar to this one that I've been wearing this entire message. Now, this is funny because if I know human nature at all, um, some of you have wondered about this for the last 30 minutes. And some of you really haven't heard what I've had to say. And some of it was really good. But you didn't get to hear that because you've been focused on this. And you've been wondering, why does this idiot have a sticky note on his shirt? And you might not have heard anything I had to say. But you guys, that's what offense does. This is all you focus on. And this is all you think about. And you forget the person that's behind the sticky note. The problem with that is, is by our nature, most of us don't want to deal with this proactively. Most people believe the incorrect line of thinking that says time heals all wounds, it'll go away. Time does not heal all wounds, I'm here to tell you. This does not go away on its own. So you say, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. And what happens is, 
It doesn't go away. When you think of this person, this is all you see. And pretty soon your walls go up and you stop communicating with that person like you once did. Here's a, here's a truth of life that I learned. If you want to stop any relationship, business, professional, doesn't matter what it is. If you want to stop any relationship, take the communication out. A relationship will not grow. It will not advance without communication. It will, at best, it will stay where it's at. Usually what it's going to do is it's usually going to backtrack and it's going to get worse. And the problem with these sticky notes is maybe you can get away with one. I don't even think you can get away with one. But then what happens when the next issue comes up? Well, what happens is you put another sticky note on the person. And then you put another sticky note on the person. And then you put another sticky note on the person. You skip 10 years down the road and this is what you see. You don't even see the person anymore. All you see is a group and a collection of offenses. You say, yeah, but he did this and he did that and he did that. What was the first one? In that picture, what was the very first offense that if you dealt with that, if you, if you nip that in the bud, it would have no foundation to grow on? Sticky notes, these, what they do is they create division. There is never a sticky note. There is never an offense that I've had had in my life going, God, I'm so thankful for that. Our relationship is so much better because I didn't deal with that offense. I, I love that person so much better. Sticky notes, offenses create division. So then some super practical questions for us as we, as we pursue unity Paul advocated for it. Jesus prayed for it. The Israelites sang about it. It's what we need in this season. So some super practical questions I would ask us today. Are there any sticky notes that you have to deal with? If you think about your life right now, are there any people that when you think of them, all you can think about is an offense? Because this is one of the things that has driven me nuts about this current season is that um, we're not asking the questions we need to ask and we're not having the conversations that we should be having. That is one of the things I think our enemy has stolen from us. That in this season where we normally would be asking, hey, you know, Jeff, how are you doing? How's your family? How's your faith? How's your marriage? How's your job? Oh, tell me, tell me about that project that you've been doing. Yeah, I, I really want to hear about that. We're not having those conversations. The conversations we're having are around divisive issues. And I believe that's a distraction. And I believe that that's something that the enemy has stolen from us. And what happens is when you don't agree with that person, sticky note. Sticky note. So the question I would ask, this is about us as a group. Are there any people that when you think of them, all you can think about is how they've offended you? If that is the case, I might propose that there's a sticky note that you have to deal with. The next question is a little bit more personal to you. Are you creating sticky notes? Ouch. Are you creating sticky notes? Are the conversations and interactions you've been having promote unity or division? Now, I want to be really clear on this. I am not saying that everybody needs to believe the same thing. Everybody needs to drink the Kool-Aid and, and believe the same thing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying that at all. I actually, um, we are friends with 
people that have different convictions than we do. And I actually enjoy those conversations because here's the truth. You can be friends with somebody and not agree with everything that they believe in. I'm going to say that again. You can be friends with somebody. You can be life-giving. You can be loving with people that don't believe the same things you do and that don't agree with the same things you agree on. It's happened before and it, it happens quite a lot in our life. The question is, though, are the conversations and interactions you've been having promote unity or division? Maybe that's why Jesus put such a high value on this. If we look in the book of Matthew, this comes up every time I take communion. I I think of this verse. Uh, He was talking about some other things, and he was talking about bringing an offering to God, and, and look at what he says here. He says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Isn't that interesting what Jesus is saying there? He's saying this this gift that you're bringing to God, as you bring it to the altar, if, if you know that you have something against your brother, I don't want it. Leave your gift there. Go and be reconciled to your brother and then bring me the gift. Every time I take communion, I think of that verse. Every time I take the the little cup and the little bread, I ask myself, God, is is there a sticky note that I know of that I have to deal with? And sometimes the answer to that question is yes, there is, and you need to deal with this. And nobody likes doing that, but it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. You guys... We have an enemy, and, and, and we are in a battle. And, and the sides are not the left versus the right. The sides are the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And we have an opportunity in this season to unify around the truth and power of Jesus because that is the answer. If, if we need a reminder this morning, the gift that we've been giving, the gift that we have been given, think about that. It overcomes hatred. It overcomes prejudice. I mean, the the gift that we've been giving, life in Jesus, that is where we get the the power to forgive. That is where we get the power to heal relationships, you guys. And when we love others, even though their, their behavior might not feel deserving, that is when we love as he loved us. That is when we become an accurate picture of the body of Christ. That is what we've been called to do because it says they'll know us by our unity and they'll know us how we love one another. So my my question to us this morning is in this season, this is speaking for you, you individually, in this season, can we get this right? Can we get this right? Can we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind? And can we love our neighbor as ourselves? Because that is our assignment. That is what we've been asked to do. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. We have been asked to go into the world and love. Because here's the truth. We have an enemy. And that enemy hates God. And that enemy hates God's people. But my Bible says that we can overcome that enemy with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That same spirit dwells within us. And that is how we will overcome that enemy. And I believe we're not going to do that unless we are united. Unless we are united, unless we are unified around our mission to go and love. Because that is how they're going to know we're followers of Jesus. By our unity 
and by how we love. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, I have a simple prayer this morning. I have a simple prayer, and it's your prayer, God, that we would be one, Father. Help us in this season, help us keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is always about people. God, help us see where we're promoting unity, Father. Convict us, God, where we're promoting division, Lord. Help us love those that are undeserving, Father. And God, I just pray that that you would find us faithful with that prayer. That you would be able to say, man, the, the church in the United States and the church in the world is getting it right. They are going after unity. And Father, I, I pray a blessing on us as we go today. I pray, God, that, uh, that we would be champions of unity, Father, in Helena, Montana. In Jesus' name, amen.